Hi, I'm Dr. Karen Becker, and Debbie has nominated Mike Bataglia for a Game Changer Award. And I am so thankful Mike has taken some time out of his busy day today to meet with me and tell me more about the work that he is doing and why he's so passionate about it. So Mike, congratulations on your Game Changer Award. And I'm looking forward to learning more about the inspiration behind why you are doing what you're doing. So thanks for joining me. Thanks for having me. And once again, thanks for taking time out of your day to uh, have this talk with me. So Mike, back up for our listeners and readers that um, maybe don't know about your history, your background, your passion, kind of walk us through how you have decided to focus on nutrition and specifically the ketogenic diet for dogs. I know there, there has to be a story behind that. And there definitely is a story behind that. Yeah. Um, So basically I'm going to say long story short, but it's not a short story. So (laughs) I'll try to condense it. Um, Basically uh, my dog, Emmy, which we adopted from our local Doberman rescue group, Illinois Doberman rescue. We adopted her as a newborn at eight weeks old. And that was back in 2012. Um, and unfortunately, by the time she was about four years old, she had developed a small a lump, a small bump on the top side of her back. And right before she turned five years old, that lump was diagnosed as MCT cancer. So as many pet parents are, are fortunately aware, many people go through this. Um, you get the diagnosis for your dog and you know, you're other, you're on the other end of that phone from that phone call being told that your dog has cancer and you, you, your heart sinks. It's a horrible feeling. And People like me, as many others, you immediately feel the urgency to want to do something to try to help your dog quicker than just being told to wait for the next appointment. So that led me to, like so many others, hop online, start researching everything I can. So I started learning about the ketogenic diet and what Keto Pet was doing out in Texas at the time. So I started learning about that, and that in turn got me started on learning all about the ketogenic diet to implement it with my dog. And shortly after starting that, I started realizing, oh, wow, this is actually pretty complex. So for the average person to figure these diets out, it can be a little overwhelming. So that is one of the reasons that got me started in starting the, the Facebook group, the ketogenic dog group on Facebook to start the little community of bringing people together to, I guess, network, console one another as a support group for people going through cancer with their dogs, start learning about the diets, how they work, why they work. Um, I guess that's kind of the gist of very briefly how I got started with all of this. Um, And then how I mentioned before uh, our our little chat before this, how, you know, when I watched you in the, in the pet fool documentary, that was an eye opening thing to me. Right. I'm like, Oh my God, there's this huge problem. that's (laughs) plaguing the, the, the pet food industry of what I'm feeding my dog. 
So I think I had watched Pet Fooled literally almost at the exact same time all of this was happening in my life. So I just like hit the ground running, I guess, with all of this, all these different things were happening. And so when you, had you heard, did you discover even that term ketogenic diet, had you heard it before your girl got sick or was that a part of the discovery of you? You're like, oh my gosh, my dog has cancer. And then you went down a ketogenic rabbit trail or did you have some understanding of the benefits of ketosis for cancer? And and so you took your research in that direction. Well, not to stray too far off topic, but staying on the topic of ketogenic diet and ketosis, at the same time this was going on, um, some friends of ours had a newborn baby, which she was still an infant. She was just born. They were still at the hospital. She started having seizures. They couldn't figure out why. They couldn't figure out why. You know, what was going on with her. So ultimately they, they finally figured out she had glute one deficiency, which is a disorder that doesn't the glucose doesn't transport it to the brain, right? So in the absence of glucose in the brain, the human, the baby in this case, has seizures. So since there is no medicine, there's no traditional, there's no therapy, there's no cure for glute one deficiency, the only way to manage it is through ketogenic diet. So I, had, I, that, that I, I learned and heard about it then, and then I knew how it was being used for seizures and epilepsy. And then I dove down the rabbit hole information and research with, with using it for cancer. So your learning curve, when all of this hit, like, <laughs> like you have to look back on that time and it had to have been like, yep. like, yep vertical learning curve number one also vertical overwhelmment probably at least initially the ketogenic diet is if you don't know anything about it it's totally over when you first start trying to figure out especially with a state of fear or panic involved it's overwhelming and so you were dealing with the emotional aspects of a diagnosis but then also trying to navigate okay I have no idea what you were feeding before, but probably if you're like most pet lovers in the US, you went from a high carb ultra processed diet pretty quickly to a no carb unprocessed diet. And that's overwhelming. So there's a, you had a, right. let me just say it this way. You had a lot of moving parts. <laughs> there's a lot going <laughs> oh, on. Absolutely. And you're hundred percent right. I, I was one of those people feeding the ultra high processed kibble. And I thought I was feeding the premium kibble right i'm spending all this money on this bag of garbage essentially is what is what, <laughs> is all it was right so yeah i mean i i had everything happening at once between the, the diet going from kibble going to raw going to keto learning about all these different things it it was definitely a lot to take in all all at the same time in one year you got this one group of people trying to tell you that Oh my God, you can't feed a dog well, that has cancer. You can't feed that dog raw meat. You're going to kill it. Or you can't feed a dog that much fat. You're going to cause pancreatitis, right? You have all these people on, on this camp telling you one thing, and you got these people over here telling you another thing. How do you make sense of, of who's right and who's wrong, right? So 
yes, of course. So much so that hence Rodney and I making the Doc Cancer series about this because it was, and that's a six hour documentary and we still didn't, that, that's, that covered like the nuts and bolts of it enough to hopefully give people enough background, enough to get started somewhere, but certainly unending questions and so much more research and worldwide conversation needed to happen before especially the veterinary community can or will get on board. So there's also that piece that then has to be navigated. But a lot has transpired over the last five years. I mean, thankfully, at least veterinarians are at least they've heard the term ketosis. Now they have some idea of what it is, but I bet that that uphill battle, at least within the veterinary community, it's certainly not done and as much as we are educating one set of veterinarians, we have veterinarians that either have remained uneducated or don't want to become educated. And that's another uphill battle. Mike, the people that you are primarily helping, people are reaching out to you or they're joining the Facebook group. And they are people, I'm assuming, either with dogs that have epilepsy and or dogs dealing with cancer. Is that a fair assumption? Yeah, I mean, hands down, that that's two, two, two of the biggest things. That we're using the keto diet for um, cancer and epilepsy, and surprisingly enough, it can also be very beneficial for dogs that are overweight. Mm -hmm. You know, my dog went my dog went from eating that ultra high processed, uh, high carbohydrate kibble diet. We managed to lose seventeen pounds mm -hmm. uh, on her frame, and at at the time. None of our vets had never told me what to or explained the BCS chart, body condition score chart to me. My none of the vets had advised me at that time that, oh yeah, your dog could probably lose a few pounds. In my eyes, she looked great. She was active. She did everything with me. But in retrospect, and to this day, looking at pictures of her, a 17-pound difference is just it's like a whole nother dog. Yeah. Right. And if you look at the statistics on the obesity epidemic in dogs these days where over 50% are overweight and obese. You just think about the ramifications on these dogs that are unnecessarily having to go through their life carrying around all that extra weight, right? And how unhealthy yeah. that is. And then of course, not only on joints, cardiovascular system, the obvious, but how much inflammation those dogs right. are carrying around. And it's out of the chronic inflammation that the cancer story and conversation enters the equation. So you you knitted all this together and you 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 started your dog on a ketogenic diet, which then in turn started you down probably an unintentional path in your life towards helping others also understand what to do at that moment of crisis and confusion and scary diagnoses. Can you tell us a little bit about how that, um, talk about how you've used this overwhelming diagnosis and your point of pain then to help others? Well, I, I guess through the simple fact of getting the information out there between the, you know, the Facebook group, the ketogenic dog group on Facebook and getting the information out there on the keto powered canine website. So between those social media outlets and word of mouth and just one person telling the next person and their friend, and, you know, hopefully we kind of get that little snowball effect going where people start learning about 
these options and the potential that these diets can hold for their dog, right? Yeah. Yeah. And I have to assume now that you, so when did you, when did you start your Facebook group? How many? So it was, it was, it was 2017. She, Emmy was diagnosed uh, with her cancer in 2017 and like literally all of this <laughs> happened really fast between me starting the Facebook group, me launching the website and just hitting this all full speed, I guess, so to, so to speak, so to say. Yeah. Yeah. So in the last five years, uh, so first of all, let me tee you up. Your next question is, what do you, what do you love most about the work that you're doing? But let me tee that up by saying, uh, I know in the last five years that you have received some of the same emails, notes, cards of people saying, I just learned about ketogenic diet and it has been transformative. Those are the things that get us up in the morning and keep us going is seeing the life changing effects that nutrition has on certain medical conditions. And I undoubtedly you have had that same experience, but let me ask you, what do you love most about the work that you're doing? Uh, it's a combination. I love, I love number one, first and foremost, helping the dogs that are out there, but it also comes helping the people too, right? I mean, you, when you're in the situation of having a dog that's diagnosed with cancer or having a dog that has epilepsy, you know, there's a lot of emotional baggage that comes along with that. Yes. Yes. And, you know, so it's definitely... It, it it's both of those helping helping the animal first and foremost and helping the people try to get the information figure out what needs to be done and how to do things and and to see yeah you know it it's feasible if i if i can put if i can cook a meal in my kitchen following a recipe you know i i can do the same thing for my dog you know you just need the guidance you need the guidance yeah have you found in the last five years ish that as your community of keto knowledgeable dog lovers, supporters, advocates grows, are you finding that your community is helping your community? Like as people go through this life-changing experience of dealing with a dog with cancer and implementing nutrition as a powerful metabolic hammer, as Dr. Dom D'Agostino would say, for for a nutritional intervention. Are you finding people in your community helping others? I mean, are you, is it, are you seeing kind of a a ripple effect with other people helping other people? I I, I think so. Um, But also on the flip side, there's so much disinformation out there that I think will dissuade probably a lot of people for, from wanting to do these sorts of things. So I think, you know, it's, it's up to the small masses to, to try to show and bring the light that these things are able to be done. And we're not gonna, we're not gonna kill our dogs by feeding them raw meats and a, a dog with cancer can in fact eat raw meat. Um, and yeah, I mean, it's also good to see 
some of these people actually come back and say, oh, wow, not only have I learned through all of this how important nutrition is for my animal, but this has been a really eye-opening experience for me to focus on my own health and how I'm eating. So it's been interesting to see that aspect of it too with, you know, some people come back and it, it's it been a really good learning experience for them, not only for their animal's health, but their own as well. You know, a lot, all the, all the diseases and ailments that we're seeing in, in our dogs these days are paralleling what's going on with the humans these days, right? Yeah, for sure. And it is, I, I totally agree with you. It is when, when you use nutrition to modulate health, especially with dogs and sadly, because they live and die so much faster than we do, you watch their recovery on nutritional intervention also happen faster. And it can be so inspiring for humans that have their own health challenges to contemplate using nutrition as a tool. And that is one of those incredibly gratifying moments where people decide to start caring for themselves uh, like they care for their animals and can improve their own well-being by changing their nutrition. So that has to be, right. yes, a very powerful motivator for you, for sure. Right. And, and what you just mentioned about how um, the dog's recovery can be so quick and or swift with, you know, a nutritional intervention, you know, a lot of these dogs that have cancer, especially if their dog's coming from a high carbohydrate kibble diet, nine times out of 10, these owners are beside themselves in amazement, like, oh my God, my, my dog hasn't been this energetic or ha have shown these such improvements ever in its life. You know, and it's unfortunate that it, this is coming at a time where the dog, unfortunately, already has been diagnosed with cancer, but it's still a pretty powerful uh, thing to have happen and to show these people how much nutrition really matters in our animals, right? Yeah. Yeah, I I get that. And I so completely uh, agree. Probably the most powerful statement that I, uh, that resonated with me in making the dog cancer series was, uh, a, one of our clients saying that their dog has never been so healthy dying that it was after a terminal diagnosis of and and terminal meaning metastatic cancer everywhere, which means we could slow the cancer down, but cure, we were not going to cure this dog. Right. But the owner saying, this is the healthiest my dog has ever been while dealing with end-stage metastatic cancer. That, those two really confounding statements, it's hard to stop, but I know when you see it, when you see animals be the leanest with the shiniest coats and have the most energy with the worst diagnosis all in one body, it hits you as veterinarians, practitioners, health advocates, it's it's a true statement. And when you see that over and over enough, you understand the power of nutrition. And I know that you've experienced that. So. Yeah. I, I mean, I've, and also it's important, I think to mention that it's, it's never too late 
to to at least try with these animals right i mean you know i've had people with 15 year old dogs who have made amazing like what you're like what you just explained the dog ultimately still passed away from the cancer but the last year year and a half of that dog's life the dog was 15 on a ketogenic diet swimming i think he was telling me he was swimming between two to three miles a day with this dog throughout like just it's a 15 year old dog right like this is incredible the dog lived a great life so you know it's it's not always about trying to beat cancer or cure cancer but giving the dog the best quality of life living with the disease right yes yes and so i have to ask when you five years ago, you had no idea that your passion would become helping people find a nutritional intervention that could be of benefit to really sick dogs. And so, but you're here now, and this is your passion, and you're helping lots of people help their dogs. If you might could tell the world one thing, or if you would want to, if you would want the world to know one thing about what you're doing, what would it be? Oh boy. Let's see if it's only one thing that's really puts the limit on what I'm going to, how I'm going to answer this. Well, you can, Um, you can add, if you've got some sub points, there's probably a concept with some sub points and you're welcome to explain. Well, I guess, I guess throughout all of this, you know, none of us can be too hard on ourselves for, wishing we knew better or wishing we did better. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it, there's not a single one of us that doesn't have some sort of regret wishing we did things differently. But at the end of the day, we can only continue to learn, learn more. And from that learning, implement it from this point forward in our dog's lives. So, you know, you see a lot of regret. I think in, in a lot of these owners who, you know, I wish I did this better. I wish I knew this or, you know, they beat themselves up and I'm the same way. You know, I, I wish I did things differently, but we can't change that. So I think a lot of it, you know, we need to be proud of what we have done and what we're trying to do with all of our animals. Those are, those are really good words, Mike, because even veterinarians, we beat ourselves up with our own animals and, you know, people think, well, you're, you're supposed to be the expert or, you know, why, why would you have regret? I think that humans being hard on ourselves is we're at epidemic levels of shredding ourselves for not knowing enough, not doing enough, not making enough money to be able to buy the stuff that we think would have changed things. We are really hard on ourselves as guardians. And I think if we could just stop and recognize that our goal is to do the very best we can with the resources we have, and that we have to take a deep breath and let ourselves off the hook that that's good enough because it is, it's the best that we can do at that time space reality. And we have to be kind to ourselves. It's really important advice that you have spoken because people don't do it. Yeah. hundred percent. I agree with that. Um, I, I guess one other thing I would have to add is, you know, what we, we briefly mentioned that 
yes, dogs that have cancer can, in fact, eat raw meat. It's not going to it's not going to make them deathly ill. Um, no, I lost my train of thought. What my other point was going to be. <laughs> But I, I listen, I do like that point when, um, when we were making dog cancer series, I jokingly said to the guy that was helping us build the website, how about if we include a butch, an anus shield that we could slip over a dog's tail? Because for everyone saying <laughs> dogs with cancer can't have raw meat, then how are you going to prevent your dog from eating E. coli and salmonella when they lick their bum? So we should provide a butt guard and because you, and of course I was being silly and facetious, but the premise is dogs naturally have potentially pathogenic bacteria in their GI tract, and they're going to lick their bums every day and clean up and eat poo and eat whatever else they can find. Dogs are scavenging carnivores. They eat dead, bloated, gross things, and they have for thousands of years and they will continue. All of those potential contaminants, veterinarians, for whatever reason, tend to forget about. And yet they're singling out USDA inspected meat as being uh, the highest risk. And so I do think that part of this is uh, education needed in the veterinary spectrum, along with a good healthy dose of common sense and recognizing that dogs will be dogs and do gross things. Even if we don't want them to lick their butts and eat poo, they're going to do it anyway. And that they are well equipped to handle fresh meat as an evolutionary food source. They've been doing it for thousands and thousands and thousands of years. So even if you forgot your other points, that's still a pretty valid point to make. Mike, yeah, because I, I think... Yeah, go ahead. No, just real quick, I think that, that that's a real big point of contention with a lot of people that find their way into my group. That's one of the first things they're advised not to do, right? Don't, oh my God, you can't feed your, your dog with cancer raw meat. That's the last thing in the world. You're going to, it's crazy, right? So that's, yeah. that, that's just a really big topic of concern for these people. And I think we do a pretty good job informing them otherwise. But, you know, unfortunately, you know, I, I don't think it's ever going to change on, on the vet industry, uh, on the advice they're going to give when it comes to raw in those situations. But, you know, in five years, over hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of dogs, we've never had one reported case of dogs yeah. getting any sort of sickness eating raw meat while they're going through their bout with cancer. I mean, you've had... You know right. this as well right. as I know this. Right. This is a recurring theme, like the, uh, you know, the Raw Feeding Veterinary Society, the group of veterinarians that raw feeding vets, we we oftentimes talk about this. We're like, do you, did you have a culture pop? Did you, I mean, in my 25 years of feeding raw food, I'm still, I, I, you, you my conventional colleagues will say, I have a dog that got sick eating raw. I'm like, oh my gosh send me the culture results so I can see it. And they, they're, the diagnostics have never been done. There's an assumption that if there's any GI complications pertaining to a change in diet, that it's probably related to pathogenic bacteria. But when you ask for, for proof or for confirmation of that, there, those tests in my career have not been done. It's veterinarians that are wildly fearful through their education that was done in a veterinary school that's sponsored by big pet food. None of them, which sell, human grade, fresh raw meat diets, none of them. Of course, they're coming out in doctrine that anything besides feeding ultra processed food could potentially be 
very detrimental to overall health. So they graduate with that knowledge. And if they don't, veterinarians are amazing people, but if they don't continue their knowledge base beyond those four years, they oftentimes are stuck with a set of beliefs that are unable to evolve or change despite science and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and thousands and thousands at this, at this point of dogs, cats, and other mammals using food as nutrition, they're, they're not going to open their minds enough to see that. So I yeah. agree with you. We have a, we do have a, a, an uphill battle when it comes to educating my beautiful colleagues on using food as medicine, but all that to say, I am thankful, Mike, that Debbie took the time out of her day to nominate you as a game changer. I appreciate that out of a point of pain and desperation in your life, you have spent the last five years educating, helping, inspiring, supporting others that are looking to use food as medicine. And I appreciate you taking time today to talk with us about this passion. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate you taking your time. And it's quite humbling, to be honest with you, that you've chosen to take the time to speak with me today about all this. So once again, thank you.